0: Welcome to the Theory to Action podcast, where we examine the timeless treasures of wisdom from the great books in less time to help you take action immediately and ultimately to create and lead a flourishing life. Now, here's your host, David Kaiser. Hello, I am David and welcome back to another Mojo Minute. Before we begin, you might notice that my voice is a little nasally, Still struggling with that cold, but hopefully we will not have uh, any more sniffles or coughs to be extremely distracting. But that all said, last time we chatted about my love for books and where did that love originate? So I took us back to my high school years watching Brian Lamb and that wonderful TV program Book Notes, which aired at Sundays at 8 p.m. So be sure to check out that episode if you love books and you love to find these nuggets of wisdom yourself. I give away all my trade secrets there in that episode. But today's program is going to help us because we're taking another break from our in-depth series on Philosophy 101 and before we jump back in the deep end of the pool with that super heady and super intellectual philosophy stuff i wanted to share with you my love for history too and what i have been reading for the past year or so in fits and starts is that being a political science major in college i took a lot of history classes too and i love to connect the dots how did we get here from a certain time period in history. As an example, anytime anyone asks me regarding the U.S. Civil War, how in the world did we get into that mess in the first place? And I always recommend the book, The Impending Crisis by David Potter, America and the Events Before the Civil War, 1848 to 1861. And the reason I recommend that book is because it was recommended to me, number one, by a National Civil War Battlefield guide. But also because most scholars love it, because it puts themselves into the time period before the Civil War. They can understand the context of why certain people made certain decisions. And that is what fascinates me about studying history. So over the last year, I've continued... With my study of American history, first with the book The Empire of Liberty by Gordon Wood, which is very good, excellent work. And I'll try and share some of that book in later mojo minutes. But recently, for about the last month, I've been reading What Hath God Wrought? The Transformation of America, 1815 to 1848 by Daniel Walker Howe. Fascinating book, very thick book. I am uh, crushing it via Audible. Thank you very much. Love Audible. And that brings me to today's nugget of wisdom. You know, we're always talking about exit ramps and how to stop the country going in a bad direction. And we're always looking for ways to exit off of that uh, going the wrong direction and merely just to find an exit ramp, get off the road, be able to look around and make a call to go back the other way. But let's check out this alternative history, because this could have been an exit ramp for our country. I've never heard this before. So this is a gem of a nugget of wisdom. So with that, let's go to our first pull quote. The election of 1844 was one of the closest and most momentous in American history. The Whig Party met for its national convention in Baltimore on May 1st. No one had the slightest doubt that the presidential nomination would go to Henry Clay. And so it did unanimously as a gesture of confidence in Whig judgment, the nominee allowed the convention freedom to choose his running mate. And so we have the great Henry Clay from Kentucky running on the Whig party ticket. And we will have James K Polk from the democratic party from Tennessee getting that nod. Now I won't get into the details of the campaign issues because we're always pressed for time here, but suffice it to say the issues, the national issues are starting to become more bitter and the tensions are rising rapidly across the country. Andrew Jackson, who was president before from 1828 to 1836 and largely a super divisive president for the whole country. If you lived during that time, you either hated Andrew Jackson or you loved him, by all accounts. Jackson had served, like I said, from 1828 to 1836, and then his vice president, Martin Van Buren, ran essentially as the third term of Jackson from 1836 to 1840. He won election. Um, to serve that time period. Well, then the country as a whole gets sick of going that direction. So they make a change. They move to Henry, William Henry Harrison in 1840. He defeats Martin Van Buren for who was going for his second term. And you might remember the phrase from your history classes, the, the famous campaign slogan of that year, Tippecanoe and Tyler too. That was referencing William Henry Harrison's victory in 1811 at the Battle of Tippecanoe over the Indian Confederacy organized by Tecumseh, who wasn't at the battle at the time. Uh, He was fighting. He was elsewhere recruiting allies, but uh, Tecumseh would be killed later in in the War of 1812 at the Battle of the Thames. But back to 1840, we have the newly elected President Harrison who gets sick. Not because he wasn't wearing an overcoat or a hat on a very bone chilling, cold, rainy day while giving his inaugural address in the rain and William Henry Harrison, the newly elected president dies one month later. So then we have vice president, John Taylor, who assumes the presidency. I'm sorry, John Tyler. And Tyler was such a weak president that by the time the country gets to 1844, which we just referenced in our first poll quote, again, the tensions in the country are ramping up. None of the national problems are being solved. John Tyler can't win his own party's nomination. And so we get Henry Clay from Kentucky being nominated for the Whig ticket. And for the Democrats, like I said, James K. Polk from Tennessee is running on their ticket. So with that, let's go back to the book to pick it up from there. The outcome of the election hung in the balance as states voted throughout the first 12 days of November. The Electoral College scored Polk 170 to Clay's 105, but this masked the closeness of the popular vote. Polk's plurality of 38,000 out of 2,700,000 votes cast gave him 49.5% to Clay's 48.1%. The abolitionist James Burney, candidate of the Liberty Party, polled 62,000 votes, 2.3% of the total, while a small percentage, it affected the outcome. Burney took enough anti-annexation votes away from Clay to cost him New York and Michigan. If New York had gone the other way, Clay would have won the election. Massive Democratic electoral fraud tipped the scales. In New York, they voted large numbers of ineligible non-citizen immigrants. In the last analysis, Young Hickory may have well owed his victory. Young Hickory is James K. Polk. In the last analysis, Young Hickory may have well owed his victory less to his stand on Texas, the anti-annexation platform. So popular in the deep South, then to the growing Catholic immigrant vote and the inability of the Whigs like Seward to make a dent in it. Now, did you hear that nugget of wisdom coming to us from history with a small percentage? It affected the outcome. James Burney, and his Liberty Party in New York cost Clay enough votes that Clay that had Clay gotten those votes in the states of New York and Michigan he would would have won the election of 1844. Let's go back to the book. It took six days for the returns from New York to reach Nashville. Quote, I thank my God that the Republic is safe and that he had permitted me to live to see it, declared Andrew Jackson after he learned that Polk had clinched the victory. I can say in the language of Simeon of old, now let thy servant depart in peace. Three months after Polk's inauguration, the old soldier did just that on June 8th, 1845. One of the most divisive presidents in the history of the Republic, Andrew Jackson, the old soldier, passed into eternity just three months after the election. Now, how did the other side of the country view the election of 1844? Going back to the book the chances that mutual love would preserve the union did not look good to another learned analyst of American history and politics, John Quincy Adams. He read the election returns as evidence of the fragmentation and perversion of the American Republicanism quote, the partial associations of native Americans, Irish Catholics, abolitionist societies, the Liberty party, the Pope of Rome, The democracy of the sword and the dotage of a ruffian are sealing the fate of this nation, which nothing less than the the interposition of omnipotence can save us. So the great John Quincy Adams was extremely disheartened. You can hear it in his bleak language at the prospect of the country in the direction it was headed. We should study more of Henry Clay and John Quincy Adams. These are two fascinating, great figures in American history that are often overlooked. But here's the coup de grace. Here's our nugget of wisdom. Back to the book. The consequences of the election of 1844 went far beyond Texas annexation. Important as that was, if Henry Clay had won the White House, almost surely There would have been no Mexican war, no Wilmot proviso, and therefore less reason for the status of slavery in the territories to have inflamed sectional passions. Although he would have faced a Democratic Congress, President Clay would have probably would probably have strengthened the Whig Party through patronage and renewed its commitment to the American system. In the South, he would have encouraged moderation on the slavery issue including the acceptance of an alternative future characterized by economic diversification. And in the long run, the gradual compensated emancipation would have, which he advocated for all of his life. There might have been no reason for the Whig Party to disappear or a new Republican Party to emerge in the 1850s. After the Civil War, the great newspaper editor Horace Greeley declared, that if Clay had been elected in 1844, quote, great and lasting public calamities would there have been averted. More recently, some historians have carefully examined the likely consequences of a Clay victory in 1844 and have concluded that it would have been, it would have probably have avoided the Civil War of the 1860s. We, too, readily assume the inevitability of everything that has happened in our history. The decisions that electorates and politicians make have real consequences. Yes, they do. Real consequences indeed. The decisions that electorates and politicians make do indeed have real consequences. So in today's Mojo Minute, why read books? Why read history books? Why find these nuggets of wisdom? Because they help us along our own path. They help us to make better decisions about our future and the future of our country and our world. To see and tackle the big and moral issues of our day in the context of history, our history. What would our country look like and feel like without the us civil war in our past without over 650,000 dead from both sides how would the original sin of our country slavery had been answered would the 13th amendment still have been adopted without any of the bloodshed would henry clay had been would he have been the moderate president that they claim he would here would he have brought the country together thereby not allowing for a splitting of the country that began and set its course in the 1844 election? These are all great questions, but we'll never know. But suffice it to say, the question still stands before us. What hath God wrought? The decisions that electorates and politicians make have real consequences.